Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Behind the Yellow Line. I'm your host, Randall Sanders. Happy to be joined, as always, by Jeremy Spector. Jeremy, the team aside, how are you this evening? Uh, I'm decent, uh, team aside. You know, it's a fine uh, evening. It's a little hot out there, a little humid, I would say. A little sticky, yeah. Yeah, it's like walking, you know, it's thick out there. Yeah, it's You're thick, just, like, thick with through. two Cs. Better, better sticky than smoky, though. That's true. Been a very smoky week here in the city of Chicago. Ronan is out this evening. He is hosting of a different sort as one of our other good friends visits him in Denver. We hope that whatever they're up to, they're enjoying themselves and staying out of trouble. Uh, so, Jeremy, we last recorded, of course, the eve before the London series. The Cubs have played five games since, and it's been heavily balanced in favor of things not going well, unfortunately. Uh, they played their two games in London, and they they won that first game quite handily. It was a very fun game. I thought the atmosphere was very fun. Uh, I thought it was a, a different and unique backdrop relative to our normal parks. And uh, Justin Steele was good. And they pasted Wainwright to the wall. I, I enjoyed watching them do that in the United States and even more so on another continent. Definitely. I mean, that first game was pretty much all you could have wanted from what you get from the Cubs, you know, they pulled to within one game of 500. The bats came out hat, hot. Ian Happ hit the two homers. Justin Steele, you know, coming off of uh, coming back from that injury, looking pretty good, uh, looking like there's nothing really to worry about him kind of being dominant. It was everything. Everything was perfect. Everything was great uh, until heading into that second inning, right? In, uh, in game number two. But yeah, that first game, you know, and they, they got to play the Go Cubs Go after the end. And uh, uh, I didn't notice when the Cardinals win, they didn't really have any special music for them. So, well, was, they they didn't, I'm sure, have recordings of just various animal farmyard noises to play. I don't know if that would have translated over the PA system. I did notice uh, when they did sing, uh, take me out to the ball game, not only did they have Clark, the cub up there, but they also had Fred bird. And now, and, and uh, uh, while, you know, uh, it was more of a cub theme, take me out to the ball game. So I, I was a little uh, crazy about that, but overall I would say, I would say it was probably a pretty fun trip for the guys. A pretty exciting trip. Didn't really work out, you know, on the roar, the uh, way home and after game number two, but uh, yeah, that first game, everything went well that could possibly go well. Yeah, you know, these these neutral site games always feel bigger than they are, like the Field of Dream games, Dreams game. There's only one game, Field of Dreams game last year. You've got the national broadcast. You've got all the, the fanfare and the pomp and everything. It makes the games feel bigger than they are. And when you can win one of those games, it feels like a bigger win than it actually is. It's just one regular season game, but it feels like more than it is. And you, you mentioned uh, Clark the Cub and Fred Bird were both present during that seventh inning stretch in game one. I believe Nick Offerman. Uh, right. a very venerable celebrity Cubs fan. He's certainly on my approved list for Cubs fans. He was there as well. So three venerated individuals between Clark, the Cub, Fred Bird, and Nick Offerman. I trust those three to handle seventh inning stretch duties, no matter what continent you're on. Uh, unfortunately, as you mentioned, it's been all downhill since. They took a sizable lead, four runs in game two of that series. And then it, it, it just spiraled out of control. And uh, Trey Mancini, we may look at his glove work, unfortunately, as one of what Pat Hughes calls a turning point in the season because nothing good has happened since. No, nothing good has happened since. Uh, I, I would also point out that Nick Offerman is a, a University of Illinois alum. I got that line. I shout out there. So, yeah, that's what I was getting at with, you know, it was very Cub themed with Offerman singing and then Fredbert's right there. But, yes, going into game two. Uh, even, even, you know, Mancini even held his weight early on, right? He 
coming up in that first inning against Liberator, against the lefty who really just has a straight fastball, kind of nothing. Cubs, the bats came out. Mancini had that big two-run uh, double, I believe it was, that he hit off the wall, and then he got driven in after that. And, you know, everything's looking good. And then once again, we get back into that very similar situation that we saw in Pittsburgh. Bases loaded, two outs, ground ball to the right side, and Mancini just absolutely fucked it up. <laughs> like, just part awful. of my language, but just awful. Uh, worse than he did in Pittsburgh, even though that almost tore Mark Leiter's arm off. Yeah. Um, it just, it was just, and unfortunately, we didn't have the, it wasn't as late in the game and it wasn't the six run lead or five run lead we had in Pittsburgh. Uh, but just basically every possible thing you could do wrong on a play, Trey Mancini uh, did wrong on that play. And let, let me, just for Trey Mancini's sake, like, First of all, I I know that was such a big turning point in that game. Obviously, changed the momentum. Obviously, changed a lot of things. Made it four three. Made it nine. But with the way Marcus Stroman was dealing with that blister, it's kind of hard for me to just pin it all on Trey Mancini. I know he took the blame after the game, so it's basically my fault. We lost this game, but Stroman started getting hit hard. Uh, he was okay for the first two innings, but with that blister, he obviously couldn't deal with it. Like if if the Cardinals are going to hit you hard, I mean they ended up scoring seven runs. Like. It wasn't that those runs, they still had enough runs to win the game. Even uh, those, you took away those two runs, or whatever that Mancini gave up. But yeah, obviously the momentum there would change. It was just, it was just a, a complete disaster report uh, per, per performance at first base. Uh, I did understand why he was in the lineup in terms of his bat against Libertor. Right. But after watching him at first base all season, watching him at first base just the other day in Pittsburgh. They said Bellinger was under the weather, but he came in immediately after yeah. that. Must not have been Libertor that under the came weather. Out. So, like, there's no reason Trey Mancini should ever play first base for the Chicago Cubs again. I'm sorry to say it. You want to get his – with the way their roster is constructed right now, you want to get his bat in against a left-hander in a certain situation. Sure, fine, whatever. Pitch hit him off the bench, maybe DH him to start a game. Fine, whatever. He should not be playing in the field. He is not. He should not be playing anywhere in the field ever again for the Chicago Cubs. No, and you've I think handled. I think you said everything that needs to be said about Trey Mancini. You you can no longer play him at first base. I think with Cody Bellinger back, and Cody Bellinger, of course, was in center field tonight. So hopefully that means that the knee is all the way back or close enough. But between Cody Bellinger, between Jared Young who is now up between Matt Mervis, who is only a phone call away at Iowa. There's no reason, I agree, Trey Mancini should ever play first base for the Chicago Cubs ever again. I think we realized that early in the season about his corner outfield prowess, such as it was, and I think you can add first base to uh, the list of positions he should no longer play. And it was already a short list of positions he could play. Uh, and so you've got yet another player who's doing very little for this team, which is deeply unfortunate uh and then of course that takes us speaking of deeply unfortunate jeremy that takes us into this philadelphia series where the cubs were never really in any game they were swept handily by a hot phillies team really nothing good has come out of this week wrigley field's been blanketed by the wildfire smoke being brought down from the from canada by the prevailing winds nothing and anything good. you have anything good to have come out of this week in for the cubs uh it was definitely not a good week it was a bad week, but I, I do have some questions for you, Randall, about uh, the whole London experience as a whole uh, before we delve into this Philly series. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, you being the uniform guy, how are you feeling about the Cubs and the Cardinals both wearing home uniforms in those two games? So the Cubs wore the road uniforms in game two 
if I'm oh, not mistaken. Sorry. In game one, uh, they definitely wore the home uniforms. No, right. In game one, they definitely wore the home uniforms. And that's something that was carried over from the 2019 series where the Yankees did the same thing despite being the road team. It's a little weird, but it's already a neutral site game. So it's not like, you're, it's not like your brain is trying to connect a certain backdrop to a certain jersey. And I mean, let's be honest, the Cubs are sartorially superior to the Cardinals and every other way they're superior to the Cardinals as well. Um, the home jerseys are better than the road jerseys. I don't mind it. I think it's a good looking matchup. Um, you know, it's not black and white TV anymore. You don't need, uh, you know, it's more the NFL where you had a dark jersey versus a light jersey, but you don't really need to make the jerseys distinguishable at first glance anymore. There's plenty of red. There's plenty of blue. Um, yeah, you know, I liked it. I like seeing the home jerseys. I'm, I'm sure all of the Cubs fans in London, which apparently there were plenty of, I'm sure they enjoyed it as well. So I don't have an issue with it. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was a little weird, you know, seeing the Cubs. First of all, it kind of throws me off when it's like, oh, wait, they're not the home team. They're batting at the top of the inning, you know, but they're wearing the home uh, pinstripes. And then, of course, you know, just, you know, seeing the home pinstripes away from Wrigley Field is such always an odd feeling, even in Arizona or whatever, when you watch them in at that first home opener but of course and then my other question being you know we talked last week about the broadcasts and how you know they were whatever you said you were going to watch the games but also play uh the 720 broadcast i believe or not 720 it's no longer 720 uh, yeah, no. it's not go cubs go and i know anymore i know i i i you know, in my head, it's always there, especially when they play right. Go Cubs Go, as you said, and it's not, uh, you know, WGN or whatever. But uh, uh, did you end up doing that or did you I partake did. in the actual broadcast? And what I realized is that the terrestrial radio, which is through a radio, not through an app, not through anything else, um, was a good three to four pitches ahead of the television. So, you know, I, I watched enough of the television muted to kind of get a feel for what it looked like and how the game looked. I'm like, okay, this is good. And at that point I was just radio the rest of the way. The national broadcasts are just so bad. They're so unlistenable. You have John Smoltz providing zero insight. Joe Davis is amicable enough. I don't mind him, but John Smoltz brings it down so much that, you know, I will listen to Pat and Ron who are having fun with it. And 670 actually put a little bit of production value into those broadcasts. They had what I assume is a, a, uh, you know, a local vocal talent record some of the intros. So you had the, the local accent, the local flavor. I will just as soon listen to that and not watch than I will to watch and not enjoy the broadcasts. Uh, and, you know, I did not listen to any of ESPN's broadcasts the next morning, and it really doesn't sound like I missed anything. Did you watch with the sound on either television broadcast? And what did you come away with? I, I did watch uh, with the sound on both broadcasts. Uh, I would say that the Fox broadcast, uh, I, you know, it was fine. I, John Smoltz is not good. I agree with you. No, it's awful. It, 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 a lot of things are, he says are ridiculous. He, he's so, it just seems like he had just, he's so like antagonizing. Like he has this, like, it's just ridiculous with uh, this, not anger, but uh, bitterness towards like, you know, certain aspects of the game of baseball where it's like, Hey, we're trying to celebrate baseball here. It's a showcase. Like, why are you having this bitterness towards it? But Joe Davis, as you said, is fine. I, I don't have a problem with Joe Davis at all. Uh, he, he enjoy, but it was a baseball broadcast too. So like I, it was, it was what it was. Uh, the Sunday broadcast, the ESPN broadcast, I thought was absolutely God awful. Yeah. It's just terrible broadcast, just all the nonsense that comes with an ESPN broadcast uh, in terms of like treating it like a podcast or whatever, like not really getting into the action on the field. First of all, I, I was happy that the in game one, 
that, uh, you know, they didn't put uh, earpieces on any Cubs players in the field. It was only Paul Goldschmidt, I believe, in game one. And I thought it was weird that Ken Rosenthal was like interviewing Nolan Arenado on the field before the game. I thought that was odd. But uh, whatever, I was happy about that. And then ESPN, they got the earpiece for Ian Happ, who I'm of the impression, in my opinion, this is just maybe it's my conspiracy, Ian Happ lost that earpiece on purpose. He kicked that thing. He got rid of it immediately. Uh, He's like, get this. I'm not dealing with this. And, uh, you know, that's how it was. So, like, and then the funny thing is he reported back. He didn't. He lost his headset. And A-Rod's sitting there asking questions. I'm like, dude, said he doesn't. he can't hear you. It's just ridiculous. I don't think anything quite summarizes an ESPN broadcast better than they can't hear you, but A-Rod is still asking questions. And again, I didn't see that because I was not watching the ESPN broadcast, but just reminds me of Ian Happ in like a, uh, like a genre piece where he's about to disobey orders, pulls out his earpiece, crushes it, says, sorry, we've, uh, we've lost the connection here. Now I know Ronan was asking this last week. And of course I misinterpreted his question that week. Cause that's last week. Cause that's what I do. Were K and A-Rod in London uh, or were they doing the game remotely? Yeah, they were in London. All uh, right. They were there. They were definitely there, I believe, uh, especially since I think, you know, the uh, Yankees, from what I they're on the West Coast trip now. I, I Michael Kay was not broadcasting um, recently. Uh, didn't call that perfect game last night by Domingo Herman. Uh, but they were there. Uh, yeah. And half, unfortunately, was on a on a ball hit to left field that he lost that earpiece. And then he said he kicked it and they had to, had to have people come out mid inning. Like a lost contact lens. Yeah, and looking for it in the field, because I'm sure that was a pretty valuable piece of equipment. But yes, Michael Kay and Alex Rodriguez were there. And let me just say that uh, that is not a good broadcast, in my opinion. Alex no. Rodriguez, we all know the problems with him. He's just, he. I feel like there's a little bit of too much of an earnestness, eagerness, whatever. And then he just, it's just a, a just absolutely ridiculous broadcaster. But then Michael Kay, I don't understand how the New York Yankees, my opinion, I, I think most people would say the premier organization in Major League Baseball. I mean, yeah, we all love the Cubs and everything, but the New York Yankees are, you know, I if the average person is going to say the Yankees are baseball. How they have such a terrible broadcaster, how they have such a terrible play-by-play guy. I don't get it, especially when the Mets, I think Gary Cohn's a fine play-by-play guy, but I don't get it. Like Michael Kay, he had no clue what was going on in certain situations. Uh, he, he was like confused by the plays on the field, calling things wrong. And like, he didn't seem extremely familiar with all any of the players. Uh, it, it just, I, I think he's very bad. I, I didn't think he was good at all. And it was to me, if this is your marquee broadcast, no pun intended for baseball for the season. Right. Uh, I, I don't, I don't believe we're having a field of dreams game this year. No, I do uh, not. I do not believe so. The uh, yeah. complex is under renovations and the you know field of dreams game will be uh brought back next year and it won't actually be at the field of dreams so like uh, odin said you know field of dreams is not a place it is a people i guess so this the all-star game prior to the playoffs are like the marquee games i would argue of the season i i just don't understand how you have a production this bad especially for espn this is probably the biggest game they will do all year i realize it's nine in the morning it's not like a huge people are waking up mostly cubs cardinals fans but I still, it's your showcase game. Like, I assume they wanted to have this game to produce it. And they spent a lot of time talking about it. The early morning sports center was very heavily focused on it, uh, promoting it. And I, it just was a bad broadcast. It was, it was a frustrating broadcast to watch. Obviously, the Cubs weren't losing after they staked the lead, early lead. But I, it just was, ESPN needs to figure something out because their baseball broadcasts 
were terrible. And unfortunately, excuse me, fortunately, their college baseball broadcast for the college World series, I, Carl Ravage aside, were actually pretty good. And they're, they were raking in viewers. And then their major league broadcast is god awful. And uh, that's just disappointing to me. Maybe maybe MLB should surrender that, uh, or maybe ESPN should surrender that MLB contract and just go to broadcasting college baseball full-time. Seems to me, from what you say, they are better at that. So yeah, I think we're in agreement that the broadcast really brought it down. But the environment looked fun. Uh, the weather in London, you know, I'm not really an expert on what uh, London's typical climate is this time of year, but the weather in London looked uh, cooperative and something they mentioned about the London stadium where these games were being played that I did not realize is that because they were built to host track and field events for the 2012 Olympics, there's no airflow into the stadium because uh, as it was mentioned, apparently you, you don't want uh, like a prevailing wind or a headwind to assist or hurt anybody trying to compete in a track or field event. And I completely had not realized that, but that's an interesting nugget. So there was no airflow into the stadium. Um, so, you know, we're used to the wind helping or hurting baseballs. You play most of the ballparks here in the United States, and that's not the case at all because it's specifically designed for that not to be the case. So that's a, a very interesting nugget that I certainly had not realized, but it looked like a great backdrop. It looked like the field was in pretty good shape. Um, you know, I think they probably harped on the fact that the field was very bouncy more than a few times, um, but it didn't seem like it really came into play at any key moments. So all in all, it seemed like they pulled it off really well. And I think we can both agree the, the broadcasts were the weakest part of the experience. You know what, just send the local teams there. Just send the local broadcast teams. I'm sure Boog would have loved doing that. I'm sure Shay's probably, no, I'm not going to London. I've got things to do back here. I don't think JD would have gone with me. Send Doug Glanville with him. I think that would have been a great broadcast. So great experience, I think, brought down by the two different national broadcasts that unfortunately were our window to these games. Yeah, definitely agreed. And of course, Boog is employed by ESPN. So of course, they, it, it would have made even more sense. Yeah, they could, they could definitely. Yeah, I'm not sure if Glanville is or isn't anymore. He used to be. Uh, but uh, I agree with you. It was it was it, the broadcast really on Sunday. I was not a fan of and and those bounces were pretty crazy. As, as you mentioned, I, I believe right before half, they start when he had the earpiece in right the pl uh, play like bounced really high. That was like the first question they're about to ask him because the ball I thought was going to bounce over his head. And fortunately, we did not see any bounces over uh fielders heads. But Correct. it looked like that was a possibility with somehow. It's kind of funny because. That's kind of old school baseball, like 1970s, 80s baseball. Sure, the kind of the carpet. Away, right. Uh, you know, you had those fast teams running on the turf, these bouncy balls. And the that's stuff not something that, the, we've seen in 30 years. The stuff that took away Andre Dawson's knees up there right. in Montreal. Uh, so speak, yeah. So speaking of things that we are not fans of, uh, as we said, unfortunately, the Cubs come home after losing that game in London. They get one day completely off to reacclimate, and then they take the field versus Philly, and they get swept right out of the ballpark. It was not a good series. Uh, Jameson Tyone got blown up in the Tuesday game. Drew Smiley did the same in the Wednesday game. Nick Castellanos hit a home run to left. Nothing good ever comes of that. Uh, and of course, Kyle Hendricks did not pitch poorly tonight as we sit here recording this on the evening of Thursday, June 29th, right after the game has ended. He did not pitch poorly, but he still takes the loss as the Cubs lose three to one. It just was not a good series and put it understating it. And unfortunately, it comes at a time where the Cubs need wins because this is a season defining stretch. If you come out of the stretch of coming up to the all-star game poorly, chances are there's no reinforcements coming and you're going to have to make do with whatever is on this team or available in the minors. Yeah, I agree with you. And to be honest, I, if I'd almost be, I know it's probably a little early for trade season, but 
Uh, for me personally, I would. I let, let's get some reinforcements in now so we can build up this stretch, right? Like, uh, why why wait to see if we need them? Like, why not just go for it? That's my opinion. You know, yeah, you know, they obviously disagree with me, but that's and that's certainly one way to look at it. You know, try and get something new in here to try and staunch the flow of blood as you march towards the all-star break. And I think we knew that coming back from London, they were going to have to readjust a little bit, but I don't think we saw them getting swept by the Phillies. The Phillies are a hot team right now. If you lose two out of three, that's fine, but getting swept, it's not what you can afford right now, especially in a week where the Brewers won two out of three and the Reds, if I'm not mistaken, were swept. They swept the Orioles in that series. I think the Orioles won one game. I think. Okay. So both teams, both teams won two out of three, but still, that's very bad for the Cubs. The two teams you are looking up at both had good weeks, and you did not. Correct, and uh, and it's hard it's hard to determine. You know, coming back from London, they only had that one day off. Yeah, some of that could be you know that kind of effect of of coming back. So you know, it, it's a six hour uh, time difference, right? So it's it, there's that's going to be there, but when you don't get the pit and the the Phillies offense, you know, it, they do have a decent offense. But when you don't get that starting pitching that the Cubs have kind of relied on all season, uh, it's it's hard. Uh, you look, you mentioned what Jamison Tyone did. That was just a super frustrating game because he's given up hits and then he looks good for about two innings and then he's given up hits again. Yeah, uh, it just he was just all over the place because you look at the the numbers and it's like, wow, he he struck out eight. He had one walk. He really he only gave up like four hard hit balls. And you're like, okay, that's like, and he gave up you know, however many runs that was another terrible performance that upped his ERA. And you're like, well, what do you do with this guy? I don't know, but there's no reinforcement. He's kind of, he it's unfortunate. Cause it's like, he's unlucky, but he's also not good, which has been a bad combination. And you're like, well, maybe if he could stop being unlucky, he might be slightly better, but you know, Hayden Wesneski's kind of had the same issues that Jameson Tyone's had. So if you put, move James and Tyone out who you're putting in you're putting in Wesneski it's you're not really losing you're not really gaining anything there uh so you might as well try to stick with that guy you paid so much money for to see if he could turn around but like I like I said Drew Smiley getting hit around if you're not getting the I mean Kyle Hendricks did okay today but still early in the game the Cubs were down three you know three one so if you're not getting that pitching you're, you're starting out behind all these games it's very difficult to win these series against a, a decent team like the Philadelphia Phillies. And yeah, as you said, this is a huge stretch coming up. The Cubs need to, you know, really uh, dig in. They can't let this get out of hand. Yeah. And unfortunately you kept the Phillies, I think biggest hitters, you kept them mostly quiet. Schwarber, of course, homered tonight, Bryce Harper drove in what were the go ahead runs tonight, but you kept those guys mostly quiet. Unfortunately get torched by Brandon Marsh of all people in the Tuesday night game. He of the disgusting hair. I don't know how you walk around looking like that. You've got longer hair than I do. Maybe you'd have a better idea. How do you walk around with your hair looking and feeling like that, much less play a major league game? Just doesn't it doesn't it feel so gross that it gets in the way? Uh the hair, I I think I I I think the hair would be easier than the beard. I mean, I got a little bit of a beard now and it's nowhere close obviously to Brandon Marsh and I would think like that thing's got to be itchy, gross, disgusting, like coming up like when you're batting, like it, like when you're trying to take a swing. I, I never get the big beard guys. That's the one for me. The hair, it's like whatever. You can move it on your face, move it on your way, you know, whatever. Well, how that is. <laughs> but I, when you see those guys with those beards like Marsh has, that's the one I'm like, bro. I mean, think about today, right? How humid it was today outside. Yeah. 
It's I just, just don't like know how, how that's comfortable. I was I I agree with you on the on the beard. It's like you know I'm you handle all of that hair coming off your face. Yeah, like I'm all for ball players being able to express themselves. Uh, grooming wise, you know, I, I think the Yankee anti beard rule is dumb and I don't know how they enforce that with it not being collectively bargained. But oh my goodness, I just don't know how you would feel comfortable walking around in the humidity with that much hair on you. But that's neither here nor there. I'm trying to cope with getting torched by Brandon Marsh. And so I'm going to make fun of his grooming choices. Unfortunately, Brandon Marsh was the the aggregant, the, the aggregation on Tuesday night. Nick Castellanos and Edmundo Sosa, another name where you go, why? Were, did most of the damage on Wednesday night. And then Thursday night, you kept them mostly quiet. But unfortunately, Bryce Harper was able to poke one just past the diving infield with two on and two out. And those ended up being the go-ahead runs. It's a very frustrating series. The one game they were in, they did absolutely nothing. And we're going to have to talk about it. Jeremy, there were some bunts tonight. Yes. And the bunts, bunting, never bunt, hit dingers. But especially tonight, I, I, I don't think I'm being hyperbolic to say that cost them any real chance at the game tonight. And not only were there some bunts, apparently, according to David Ross, yeah. these are not bunts that came from the bench. Yeah. These are bunts that some guys on their own, uh, you know, tried to perform. And Christopher Morrell, you know, a solid hitter. What are you doing trying to bunt there in that situation with no outs? It's just very frustrating. I, I think David Ross has got to be like, guys, look, unless I'm calling a bunt here, don't bunt, right? There's a time and a place. You're up. I mean, Nick Madrigal apparently didn't know how many outs there are. There were, and boy, before, that's which that's is just, damning. That's a whole nother issue, correct? Uh, and so that's why he tried to drop down a bunt with two outs because he didn't know there were two outs, and that's a very frustrating issue in and of itself. Like you, you got to know the outs, especially if you're going to lay down a bunt. You can't not. If your plan is to lay down a bunt, you can't not know how many outs there are. And Nick Madrigal, a guy who has been swinging a hot bat since he's come back from, uh, uh, you know, Iowa, he put some balls. He's hit some balls hard. He's he hit a ball over Dylan Carlson's head in 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 that game uh, in, in London, which uh, was probably one of the most disrespectful things I'd ever seen by an outfielder, how shallow Dylan Carlson was playing there. And he roped it over his head. And I was like, wow, Dylan Carlson does not respect uh, Nick Madrigal's power, but you, you can't do that. You can't lose a game this way. In my opinion, like the Cubs had chances tonight to put some runs on the board and they were not able to do so. And a huge reason why they were not able to do so is because they have guys going up there bunting on their own. And I understand Christopher Morrell being, kind of that type of player who's always looking to try to make a spark or do things like that. But, you know, you just got to tell him like, settle down. You can hit, you have power. You can do lots of things. We don't need you to try to do this in this situation. Like just go up there and hit man. Like you can hit a home run. You could hit a double. You could hit lots of different things. He's shown that in the past. Just be confident in your own ability to you know, make something good at the plate. You don't need to try to do something like throw down a button in this type of situation. Uh, so I think that's something that David Ross needs to get over to the team. Yeah, he he has hit since coming back from Iowa. He has mostly acquitted himself at third base. There are a couple times where you wish he were not uh, as short in stature as he is, because I think the occasional line drive gets over his head where a taller third baseman catches it or at least knocks it down. Uh, you know, like you can't you can't continue to justify a very limited utility roster spot when you're going to forget how many outs there are. Like there's so many there's a lot of things you really shouldn't do on a ball field. One of the things you can't do, you can't forget how many outs there are. Milton Bradley 
We, we remember he did it once, threw a ball into the stands with uh, less than two outs. That's, that's not good. And it, it changed the entire complex. It changed the entire flow of that game to try and bunt with two outs and in that scoring spot. And I again, I don't think it's going over the top to say his bunt and Morell's bunt. I don't think it's going over the top to say that cost them any chance at winning tonight because it gives away a free out and the Cubs are not a team that can afford to give away free outs. You are not such a great offensive team. You're not even a great offensive team. You you can't give away free outs. You only have so many to work with and you can't afford to give those away. And that's what the Cubs did. And they ended up giving the game away in the progress. And it's a very frustrating uh, watch on, on you know, for us fans and I'm sure for David Ross on the bench where you're in situations. And as you said, they're free outs. These are these are things you're doing to yourself. Uh, you know, it's it's not like you they made the, the Phillies made some great plays, made some great pitches, whatever. You didn't even give anybody a chance because you're bunting in these situations that there shouldn't be bunts in. So, yeah, it's a very frustrating uh, way. It's a very frustrating series. The Cubs are back to, uh, what, five and a half back now, I believe, which is frustrating because they had made all these gains to really get pretty close to, what, three out. And right now they're kind of back to where they were before that great run. So they're going to have to go on a run again. Now they got the guardians coming in who aren't great. Lost to the Royals today. Somehow they're in first place in their division. Or I, I think they're tied with the twins uh, two games under first place in their division. And so, and then you, you got what Milwaukee and New York. So like you got to make, this is your time to make a little bit of a run. You can't, none of these teams are playing that well. I mean, they were all expected to be playoff contenders, but none of them are playing like world beaters. Even the Yankees are not playing like uh, there are a lot of very frustrated New York Yankees fans out there. So like if you're going to make a run, if you're going to try to be in this, you have to beat like we've said this before. You have to beat teams like this. Like you you can't just, you know, I, I do you want to be a playoff team that only you do is beat the dregs of the world and you can't compete against middle tier or top tier baseball teams. No, because you got to be able to show that you can compete against these teams and beat them. So this is, this is the moment kind of these, this up until the all-star break, this is kind of where the Cubs could, uh, you know, make or break their season. And hopefully they play well enough to show that, to show the front office and ownership that we need to be buyers. Cause I do believe, I do believe after listening to everything the Cubs front office has said, listening to what ownership has said, I think if the Cubs show they're anywhere in the ballpark, just being in the ballpark of a race, they will buy because I think they want to buy. I don't think they want to sell. I don't think they want to punt another year. I think they want to buy. I think they want to make a run for it. So you just need to be in the ballpark. If they have what we saw in 2021, which is about the same time of year right now, I think it was, what, June 24th where the Kimbrel uh, no-hitter was, and they lost 11 games in a row after that. So hopefully the London series is not like that Kimbrel no-hitter. Yeah. I don't know why I'm calling the Kimbrel no-hitter, the, the combined, combined no-hitter. no-hitter. But that moment, in my head, it's for some reason Kimbrel, because I think because he ended it and he didn't know it was. Um, but that combined no-hitter, and then they lost 11 in a row. And this is that moment. This is that same moment. And we're we face Milwaukee in that run too. So yes. I think we need you need to show something. We need to show some life. Now, none of the guys on the team are the same guys, except for Hendricks, obviously. But we need to show some life here. And and this is that moment, and it's very key. 
Yeah, they they did face the Brewers in that in that season-defining stretch in 2021. That included the game where they were able to take a huge lead. And Jake Arrieta, 2021, Jake Arrieta could not hold it. And of course, Jed cites that as the game where he retasked the scouts from figuring who might be good additions to figuring who they might want back in trade as they began to sell. So hopefully a series in Milwaukee does not serve that same purpose this year. Jeremy, you are correct with the Guardians coming in. They are tied for first in the AL Central. They are two games under 500. It's not been pretty in that division either. The Cubs, of course, they are back in fourth place. You did all that work to put Pittsburgh in the rearview mirror. And like you said, it feels like they've kind of undone all of that good work because their Cubs are now back in fourth place. They're only a half game behind the third place Pittsburgh Pirates and we know this Pittsburgh team isn't shit um, so they I'm sure will be back down there sooner versus later you are still only five games out of the division Milwaukee and Cincinnati tied atop it as we record this on Thursday night with identical 43 and 38 records the division continues to be winnable but the Cubs have not shown for as long as they need to show it that they want to go ahead and be one of those teams trying to win it and it's just very frustrating to watch this week certainly did not help and yeah hopefully a Guardians team that is not as capable as this Phillies team coming in will be a big help. But, you know, after watching this team through to what is almost the beginning of July now, I'm just not sure they have it in them to put together quite the run that they need to put in in order to be there. But we'll find out. And that I suppose that's the wonder of sports is you're always going to find out. So we've talked about Trey Mancini. He is not doing anything especially useful at the moment. Uh, Cubs have received some unfortunate injury news in the last week since we last recorded. Uh, Dylan Hoyer, who was working his way back from Tommy John, he had been throwing well enough for Iowa. The velocity was there. The control wasn't quite back yet. They had extended his rehab stint down there to try and help him get that back. Unfortunately, he did one of those things you never want to see on a baseball diamond where he threw a pitch, immediately reacted in pain, grabbed his arm. That is a fractured elbow. He is out for the year. The best hope is that he is back in time for spring training next season. And that's a bummer because I think we were counting on him potentially to be some nice reinforcement at the back end of the bullpen. And then I guess slightly better news is uh, Brandon Hughes, who was already on the IL um, with the knee surgery. It turns out they did not perform the surgery they were expecting to perform, which not something you typically want to hear. Surgery, you want it to be typically pretty straightforward. But instead of going in and doing a much deeper and more invasive procedure, they did what's called the debridement, which is less invasive. It's uh, less, they're doing less in the knee, I guess is the best way to put it. He was expected to be out for the season now. Um, the timetable is, I think, TBD, but it is a lesser procedure than they originally intended. And Jeremy, that's unfortunate. Hughes, I think, was counted upon to be a big part of this bullpen, but relievers, season to season, man, don't love them because they will never love you. Dylan Hoyer is even more unfortunate because he was coming back from Tommy John, and I think we were hoping he'd be a hard-throwing uh, pitcher you could plug in there at the back end of the bullpen. Yeah, Cody Hoyer, I think. Uh, oh, I'm calling was, him Dylan Hoyer the whole night, right. haven't I? Yeah, Dylan Hoyer, of course, the fine the fine team photographer for the Iowa Cubs. He does great work for kids uh, who are deaf. Dylan is deaf himself. So, Dylan, unexpected shout out, but uh, keep up the great work. Cody Hoyer, I beg Mul your pardon. Multiple Hoyers over there. Multiple in, uh, Hoyers, the, that's uh, right. Iowa multiple Cubs. Hoyers in Iowa. Uh, just don't bring out Brian Hoyer. But, no. uh, um, yeah. Uh, but, uh, well, uh, although Jed Hoyer. Uh, but, uh, what was I going to say? Yes. Uh, Cody Hoyer was a guy that was throwing hard. He was he was really kind of bringing it up there at 99 miles per hour as he was coming back. And it he was. was looking pretty impressive on his way back from Tommy John surgery. And it's unfortunate uh, that we're not going to get to see him because, once again, he's one of those pieces from that Kimbrough trade. And we've seen Magic yeah. Holes 
kind of making his way kind of back after he came back from Iowa, but it would be nice to see, you know, somebody from the Kim, uh, the Kimbrel trade come up and like dominate and, and show that like, Hey, the Cubs won this trade. Uh, but yeah, it's unfortunate to see what happened to him. I hate, uh, when, when, uh, something like that happens, I always think of that, uh, double race pitcher. I believe his name was Tony Saunders who, uh, they, they took out uh, from the expansion draft off the Marlins and he just, Two times, I think he just threw a pitch, and his arm just yeah just went that way. And it's it's not fun to watch. It's not happy. It's just, it's gross. And then with Brandon Hughes, I guess that's good news, right? You don't want him to be out for the season confirmed. And he went and he got a second opinion and found a doctor to do a different type of surgery. That you know maybe you'll have a chance to come back this season once again. The Cubs don't really have a lefty in their bullpen. Mark Leiter Jr.'s been that right. guy, and Mark Leiter lefty. He's been effective. And even though that Trey Mancini almost broke his left arm, he's yeah. been effective. Um, and some guys in the Cubs bullpen have been affected. Albert Alzali, you know, has been great. But it would be nice to get a little bit more reinforcement show up for that bullpen. And that's kind of a, a, a spot, I would guess, that the Cubs, if they were looking to add, maybe they would they go out and they'd finally get a different lefty arm because Mark Leiter Jr., I think because he's been so good, you want to use him in all situations. Got a dedicated lefty arm. Although now that you have to face three guys, it's probably not as important to have a dedicated lefty arm. But still, I think you want if you can get a lefty arm, you can move Mark Leiter Jr. around more. Sure, there, there's no real spot for the the so-called loogie, the lefty one out guy, L O O G Y. There's no real spot for the loogie in the modern bullpen because of that three batter rule. Uh, unless you know, managers for the most part are smarter now as to not stack three lefties in a row in their lineup largely because of that rule you don't want to make it easier for the opposing manager to come in and get your guys out so yeah the the loogie is more or less done and gone you need guys who can get out batters both sides of the plate and i agree with you lighter has been so effective that you want to get somebody to do what he does before the bubble bursts on him and you end up uh, it, it you know it ends up he ends up having a, a blow up in a big spot. You you want to bring in somebody who can reinforce him before he before the the strain of you know being your your lefty guy uh, stacks up a little too much. Uh, so Jared Young has come up to the Cubs. Hughes of course goes to the sixty day AL. Miles Masterboni he goes back down to Iowa. Miles I'm sure we'll see you again like a bad penny just keeps coming back. But Jared Young's had a, a good first few games of his major league season he has his first major league homer a long home run on wednesday night and then he triples on thursday night he's not really in there to hit lefties unfortunately mancini's probably going to see still a lot of those dh at bats but jared young was raking at iowa he was hitting very well against uh right-handed pitching you know is he what what can we expect from jared young jeremy now that he's up on the major league roster yeah jared young obviously a guy who's been uh, around for a while, I, I believe he came back to the Cubs, uh, and uh, he he's been he's been you know uh, in the he's been in the organization for a long time, and uh, he uh, what was I gonna say he had a big kind of moment in I believe for Team Canada in the World Baseball Classic, he had a home run, a uh, big home run, and he's a guy who's shown kind of the ability. He's older, uh, I believe twenty seven years old, but he's shown kind of the ability to hit kind of at all levels pretty much through and he's not really ever been kind of like a prospect guy like not a guy that we focused yeah. on always kind of been probably old for his league uh you know there but right now the cubs have that huge hole at at first base and dh in those corner spots 
And if you get a guy like a guy who's hitting in Iowa, why not give him a chance, right? Absolutely. Why not give him that opportunity? Show, see if he can do it. Because right now the Cubs don't have anyone that could do it. So I'm all for Jared Young getting right now as many opportunities as possible. Now, do I have high hopes for him that he's going to be come down and lock down one of those spots and be a, a very good hitter in the major leagues? I'm skeptical. I don't think, you know, he's really going to do it. But if he does it, I, you know, give him the opportunity because as you said, he'll probably won't get the same opportunities Mancini has because different handedness. But right now, they don't have anybody in those spots. They don't. So I'm all for if Jared Young, he can do that, do it. Like, let's see what this kid's got. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think if there's one issue, it's that you have a lot of guys at Iowa that I think may be worth a look on this roster, if only because you risk losing them to the Rule 5 draft in the offseason, if you don't add them to the 40-man, guys like Jake Slaughter, guys like Jonathan Perlaza. Problem is, 40-man spots are valuable, and the the quandary of the front office, I'm course, of course, is to figure out how do you give these guys chances without potentially losing somebody else valuable, and that's what they have to balance. But yeah, you've got guys at Iowa who I think will eventually be worth a look because you have guys on the major league roster who so far have not been worth a great look. But uh, Jared Young, you mentioned that you know, they've put this on the broadcast because there's been nothing else positive to put on the broadcast this week. He was the Cubs minor league player of the year in 2018. And that was, believe it, it feels like it was just yesterday. It was a long time ago. 2020, of course, was a lost season for him. Um, so, you know, that's part of why he's kind of so old for the the levels. But again, if you're hitting at Iowa, you, you might as well give certain guys a shot right now because you do not necessarily have guys on the major league roster blocking them. So good for Jared, a productive uh, first two games. You know, if he can take one of those spots, whether that's first base or DH and run with it, great, go with that. Uh, so speaking of Iowa, the Iowa Cubs received two new players this week. Former first round pick Jordan Wicks has made it to Iowa after only two seasons in the Cubs system, 2021 draft pick. If I'm not mistaken, do I have that right? Yeah, 2021 for Jordan yes. Wicks. Okay, good. Right. That's what I thought. But, you know, I I also called Hoyer by the wrong first name tonight. So just double-checking everything as I go through it. Jordan Wicks is at Iowa. He is expected to make his first start Friday night for the Iowa Cubs. So we'll be interested to see how that goes. And then the Iowa Cubs have also received from AA Tennessee shortstop Luis Vasquez. And that's kind of an interesting promotion because he has an elite shortstop glove and he put up an 823 OPS for the Tennessee Smokies. That's 258 plate appearances. So not a small sample size this season. And that's a player I might have identified Jeremy as a possible trade chip. You've got a great glove. The bat has come around passively. I might've identified him as a trade chip, but of course, if the Cubs keep playing like this you're not going to need trade chips uh anything exciting about Luis Vasquez up to Iowa for you yeah you know a guy as you said that uh, has a very good uh defensive reputation um and the bats come around a little bit so it's nice he's another guy that comes drafted him out of Puerto Rico a, a few years ago actually this I believe in the same draft they drafted Jared Youngin uh right around uh the same time so I, it's intriguing uh and to me I'm intrigued by Jordan Wicks you know making it all the way to absolutely AAA already and and I'm and one thing that's uh, uh I'm intrigued by is uh his dad I believe was on Twitter the other day talking about how he's not a fan uh Jordan Wicks that is was not a fan of the pre-tacked baseballs because he thought he couldn't throw his uh you know his off-speed stuff as well with the pre-tacked baseballs he thought it really hurt him and so if he's going to Iowa uh, and then facing with the regular baseballs and he thinks he could throw his stuff even better, uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by that. I would, yeah. I would like to see that. So uh, I think, you know, Jordan Wicks being there. Now we've seen Ben Braun, who are, who hasn't had the greatest time in this last couple of uh, uh, 
spots in Iowa, but he's there. Wicks is there. So they're going to be the makings of a real uh, rotation in, in for the Iowa Cubs. So I'm, I'm intrigued by the fact that they have uh, two of these guys there now, now pitching for them. Yeah, now by pre-tacked for our listeners, the baseballs at Double A this year um, are pre they they pre have resin resin on them to to sticky them up a little bit. Baseball the pitchers get a little better grip on them. They are pre-setting those with the tack, and that's at Double A, and that's also the reason why the Cubs promoted Ben Brown from Double A AA to Triple A was to see if he could succeed with the un the not tacked baseballs the normal baseballs so it's the same reason they promoted ben brown to triple a iowa and now it's um part of the reason obviously that they've promoted jordan wicks to triple a iowa so you know it's been a while since there have been two legitimate starting pitching prospects at triple a the cubs of course have not done a great job of developing pitching but you've got two legitimate guys who will be in the triple a rotation as of friday night and that's exciting because these are both potentially players who could get looks in the second half brown is already on the 40 man as i say every week because it's one of the few key stats i can always remember uh brown is already on the 40 man again wicks is a former first round pick only two seasons ago and that's exciting of two legitimate starting pitching prospects at triple a Right. And, you know, depending on how the season goes, I think there is a variety of ways uh, a guy like Jordan Weeks could actually see time in the big leagues uh, this season. I think one, if obviously the Cubs are out of it and they start trading off pitchers, uh, eventually a guy like Jordan Weeks might end up getting some starts in the majors. But also, you know, let's say the Cubs are in it and they're making their moves and whatever. And a guy like Jordan Weeks is starting to show in AAA that he's can be pretty effective, maybe even in short outings. Uh, maybe Jordan Wicks is that left-hander coming out of the bullpen in a situation. Absolutely. So, so I, I just, I, I think it's, a, it's a good deal to see Jordan Wicks uh, continue to rise uh, since he's been drafted in that 2021 draft, you know, and continue to uh, show that, you know, give me that next challenge. And I, th- I think that's a big, a big thing for these Cubs. Yeah, and that's my third absolutely the night. I'm going to moratorium absolutely. But it is exciting. Again, only two seasons. When he was drafted, he was tabbed as a guy who could rise up pretty quickly. And to go from being drafted to AAA in two seasons is fairly impressive. You know, he was a polished college pitcher, and those guys do tend to move a little bit faster. Um, but it's, you know, still good to see him perform well enough to be worthy of the promotion because a lot of guys do not. Like a guy going from being drafted to AAA in two seasons, that's not a given. So it is encouraging to see him do it. Yeah. And uh, and, you know, just one more player I, I think we should also highlight, uh, you know, before we move on to other things is uh, I think it's a big deal that, you know, Alexander Canario is, is making his way back he is. Uh, into the organization, a guy who you keep mentioning on the 40 man. Uh, you like to keep up to date with those 40 bad guys, uh, which is important because they're the guys who can easily be added to the club. Uh, so I you know, he we all. We didn't know what we would get from Alexander Canario after we saw those those gruesome injuries in the offseason. And it's just I'm just happy that he's back to playing baseball. He's black back to playing in affiliated baseball and making his way back up. And so that's a big deal to me. I, I think I'm just happy he's back in the minors this season. Very much so. He suffered that horrendous injury playing winter ball, both a shoulder injury and a, a foot injury. Um, he is not only back on the field, he is in the lineup rehabbing for South Bend. You have a South Bend lineup that includes Moise, Moises Ballesteros. You've got Alexander Canario and you've got Kevin Alcantara, three very talented prospects offensively all in the same lineup. And hopefully Canario is not there long. He made it as high as AAA last year. He's on the 40 man. He had a great power season. He probably would have been uh, on the on the cusp of a call up had he not been injured 
Maybe he'd even up already. Yeah, um, so good to see him back on the field, injury. especially with the Bellinger injury. So good to see him back on the field. He was recovering. He was in a boot all spring training. We've seen him get back on the field in Arizona at the ACL. And can we can we find new names for the complex leagues, Jeremy? Because every time I see a guy at the ACL, I immediately think, oh, God, what happened to his ACL? Can we come up with new names for these these leagues, the, the rehab leagues, the rookie leagues being played at the team facilities in Arizona? Can we come up with a new acronym for those? Uh, I, I believe at one point they were called like the rookie, like Arizona rookie league. Sure, they used to, be, just, used to just be the rookie league. Yeah, like you could just call it Arizona rookie league, Florida rookie league, instead of complex league. Like you could just call it the Arizona league, but then it'd be the AL. So that'd right. be a little uh, different. But just call it the Arizona Arizona uh, rookie league. Uh, sure, ARL, yeah. ARL, FRL. No issues there. Nobody's going to tear their ARL because I don't think that's a thing. We just need to come up with a better acronym, I think. And, and one of those other guys you mentioned in uh, South Bend, Boise Ballesteros, you know, uh, Carter Hawkins was on the broadcast. Uh, few days ago and he mentioned Shouted that, out by Asteros. Yeah, he, he mentioned that Moises Ballesteros was like his favorite prospect and he compared him to Alejandro Kirk. So if we can get a Alejandro Kirk type player, I would be very happy about that because he's both a good player and a fun guy to watch. Absolutely. Some questions about his ability to stick at catcher physically. He's got kind of that bowling ball physique, but he can hit. And I, I want to put my trademark on this now. The, the nickname Moises Ballesteros, he's Mo Baller. And you okay. know people have people have made a lot of money off that Mash Mervis Nickname they got in on the ground floor. I want to get on the ground floor. I want to call him Mo Baller so that when he comes up to the majors eventually, hopefully with the Cubs, I want to get that sweet, sweet T-shirt money. So got to start on the Twitter, man. That that's right. Oh, I've 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 been pushing Mo Baller. You search Mo my Baller. history. Search my history, as some people are very apt to do, uh, and find find me Mo Baller on the ground floor. So we're gonna have this on the airways recorded as evidence on this evening, Thursday, June 29th. So some other Cubs notes is the Cubs expect that after the All-Star break, that Marquee will be launching an in-market direct-to-consumer streaming service. And what that means is you'll pay either a monthly fee or an annual fee, and you will be able to stream uh, Cubs games via Marquee's service in the Chicago market or in the Cubs market, I guess, more specifically. And uh, that's big, of course, because if you are in the Cubs market, even if you pay for MLB TV, you cannot watch Cubs games live. You need a cable subscription in order to stream them via Marquee. And of course, so many people are cutting the cords uh, in the present time. So this is something the Cubs said we were coming. They have not announced pricing yet. But Jeremy, just for reference sake, both the Yankees and the Red Sox do this. And their pricing ranges from, I believe it's 250 to 300 a year depending I, on the I team. Be, I believe the uh Yankees are 24.99 and the Red Sox are 29.99 and Major League Baseball is doing it for the Padres and they're 19.99. Sure. Okay. So I I've a month. Those are a month, excuse me. Those are so a you month. You can do the right. math multiplied by 12. Although I do think the Red Sox give you your first month for like $1 and then the rest are all you know 29.99. Of right. course, you don't have to subscribe for 12 months. You only have to subscribe for like six months. Right. So the the Padres, of course, um, they they have to do this because right. their RSN bubble burst and they had really no other way to kind of get the games to people without the partially the service. But this is new for the Cubs. And of course, the Cubs market uh, extends in so many different directions. The poor people in Iowa uh, have difficulty watching Cubs games. So hopefully this extends out that far west. Hopefully it's a solution for them. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of people in Chicago, in the Chicagoland area, who do not pay for cable. Um, of course, Marquee is not on the major streaming services. I don't believe it's on Hulu anymore. I don't believe it's on YouTube TV anymore. So because, of course, uh, the difficulties with the RSNs, it's not on a lot of the major streaming services. So this is potentially significant for a lot of Chicago area Cubs fans who do not currently subscribe to cable. Yeah, it, 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 It's a huge deal. 
uh, for anyone, you know, especially as you said, for people that are like not living in a Chicago land area that may never have been able to get access to marquee on their cable plans, as you said, Iowa, I believe parts of Indiana, probably downstate Illinois, like those are all in market and they can watch marquee. And then, of course, for the, the cable cutters, uh, YouTube TV, uh, if you're a sports fan, in my opinion, I uh, don't 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 purchase YouTube TV yeah. because uh, there are now 26. I believe I counted after the Mets, after SNY is dropped on uh, July 1st coming up, there will be 26 major league baseball teams that are not available on YouTube TV. You cannot watch them. The only teams that you can watch are teams that play on MS, excuse me, NBC Sportsnet. That's the only RSNs they carry, really. Uh, White Sox, unfortunately, in Chicago, the White Sox are. So we have to hear from all the White Sox. But, oh, you guys aren't on UTV. Marquee sucks. Well, it's not really a marquee thing if 26 major, major league teams aren't Jeremy, available you can't, expect, there. you can't expect White Sox fans to understand that. Come on. Right. Right. So the A's, the Giants, I believe, uh, the Phillies, I think those are the only four teams. I think that's it. White Sox, A's, Giants and Phillies. I counted the other day. No other Major League Baseball team is available on YouTube TV. And of course, Hulu, they're not doing it. Uh, FUBU TV is the only one I, I noticed of a streaming platform that Marquee is on. But if you look up FUBU TV, it's probably not the most appealing platform no. to get, but it has Marquee. And now me as a Cubs fan, Cub, the Cub, the the Cubs are a priority for me. I will subscribe to whatever service. Single issue voter, and that exactly. single issue is Cubs. That has the Cubs because I, you know, honestly, I would probably cut the cord and go to YouTube TV or something if they I could get Cubs. And honestly, the fact that the Cubs are doing this might make me cut the cord because if yeah. I can get something like YouTube TV, get it cheaper, and then also supplement that with Marquee, not have to worry about, you know, the coverage, even if it's not on YouTube TV. That would that would, might make me cut the cord in in that in that sense. So I, I think it's a good deal. I mean, we'll see what the price is. Obviously, that will have a huge impact. But I think it's it's it just in a generic term, not actually talking about pricing. But I think it's a good deal for you know Cubs fans because all across the Midwest who are living in market, as as I mentioned, parts of Indiana, parts of Iowa, parts of downstate Illinois. There's probably other parts of other areas maybe wisconsin maybe michigan southwest michigan i don't i don't know how far the cubs market extends but everybody's gonna get the opportunity to purchase cubs games so you will have the opportunity to you want to see cubs games you want to pay for cubs games you're going to get that opportunity so i think that's a, a pretty big deal and as you mentioned there's only three teams doing it and only two of them are doing it by choice right now so uh I, the cubs are about to be fourth uh the fourth player in this this space and i think that's a big deal and i think it's going to be the future kind of baseball because uh you know the diamondbacks are going to be forced into the situation along with the padres pretty soon yeah yeah no that's that's an excellent point you know i don't watch a whole lot of television other than the cubs and the fact that the cubs are not on any of the the big live streaming services um, is a big factor in me not cutting the cord, but depending on how the the economics, the financials of it play out, potentially that becomes more viable. So they will um, announce further details on that and make it uh, available after the All-Star break. Speaking of the All-Star break, it is coming up very soon. Uh, the All-Star starters were announced tonight. There are no Cubs among the All-Star starters, as expected. Uh, we will get the full All-Star rosters on Sunday evening. And even then, in the week after that, there will be injury replacements, guys who have uh, pitched too recently to uh, pitch in the All-Star game, so there will be replacements. Uh, but we will, we will get the full roster announced Sunday evening. But the Cubs were able to announce 
they are sending two of their minor leaguers to the Futures game. One, no surprise again, that is, of course, Pete Crow Armstrong, who I think is, would you agree he's probably consensus number one in the system right now? Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I think Pico, I mean, MLB.com just put out their midseason updates, and Pete Crow Armstrong was number 10 on all players uh, in their top 100, and three of the guys ahead of him are currently in Major League Baseball. So really, if you go in the minors, he's he's like top seven. So I think I think I would say I would say Pete Armstrong sets number one. Sure. And then uh, the second representative Cubs are sending more than one representative to the Futures game in Seattle. That's corner infielder B.J. Murray Jr., also currently playing at Tennessee. And Jeremy, this surprised me a little bit. Murray's had a decent season playing first base, third base for Tennessee, but he's not really uh, a name that comes to mind when you think of top names in this organization. And I think you have um, something of an answer to this. Why B.J. Murray and not a representative like Cade Horton or Jordan Wicks or one of these up and coming pitchers. Yeah. And I think, I think, and I, I'm going to say I'm 98% proud, confident, but I've done my research and I'm pretty confident on it. And if somebody wants to come and correct me, whatever I'm wrong, but I believe the correct answer is the fact that major league baseball clubs submit a list of players that I believe the deciding parties are, you know, baseball America, MLB.com and major league baseball who can decide who decide who goes to the future game. But the clubs submit a list of players. They are willing to allow to go to the futures game. And oftentimes they do not submit pitchers that they want to keep back or want to make sure they want to keep their arms out fresh or in certain situations. So I do believe that would be a reason why that you don't see a Kate Horton. You don't see a Jordan Wicks. You don't see some of these other pitchers, Ben Brown, who's made his way up prospect charts on the midseason updates at the one I just mentioned. I believe he was number 66 on MLB.com this year. Uh, and they're a new update. So I, I, I believe that's the reason is that the Cubs often when you see players that you're like, huh, why is he not in the futures game? And especially with pitchers it's because the club, the, the club, and in this case, the Cubs did mm-hmm. not submit their name because they wanted to hold them back. So I do believe that would be the reason why Kate Horton is not there. All right. Well, that's, I did not know that. So I appreciate that information. I'm sure our listeners do as well. Uh, so Cubs, two Futures game representatives, of course, outfielder Pete Crow Armstrong, who I think may be at AAA shortly after that All-Star break. And of course, BJ Murray, uh, nice of him to get some publicity and he'll get a little bit of run in that Futures game. So Jeremy, looking around MLB as we start to wind down this evening, we had a perfect game pitched in Oakland uh, last night. It was uh, Domingo German. Of the Yankees, of course, an individual who has had off the field issues, an 81 game domestic violence suspension, and he did pitch it against the Oakland Athletics, who uh, maybe not the best team in baseball this year. Um, so you do have the, I believe, the 24th perfect game in MLB history. But does it go the route of Philip Umber, where we are going to forget about it a week from now? Well, I mean, Yes and no. I mean, at the end of the day, as you said, 24 perfect games. That's all there are. So I think it's going to make an impact uh, still, especially don't forget, this is a Yankees perfect game. So yeah, it's going to be put in lots of places. It's going to get more run. The the yes, it'll get more run. It'll get more run than, uh, you know, you don't want to knock those White Sox fans, but, uh, you know, ESPN can't even remember that the White Sox won the World Series in 2005. I don't think they remember Phil Umber. Exactly. Exactly. Up there in uh, uh, Seattle. Uh, you know, I saw Phil Umber pitch in college, but at Rice. But uh, uh, yes, I do. So I do think it'll get some run. I I, I actually was curious uh, and I, I 
popped it on the MLB.tv. I was surprised when I looked up the attendance numbers. I was thinking, you know, with all the stuff that's going on in Oakland these days, I was wondering what's the lowest attendance for a perfect game. Now, I don't have the answer to that. I should have researched that a little bit more, but I was surprised to see there were, tw- according to the, the 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 box score. So this is probably just, you know, tickets sold or whatever. Sure. Or 12,000 12, some odd fans there. And I was like, huh, that seems kind of high. I guess the Yankees draw, right? Sure. Sure. <laughs> the the Yankees, Yankees, they'll get, Yankees. they'll get up to 12,000 in Oakland for the Yankees, as opposed to 4,000 or 5,000. I was yeah, like, I, I was curious, what's the smallest attendance for perfect games. I was wondering, you know, uh, 20 years from now, you'll probably hear a hundred thousand people saying, Oh, I was at Domingo. Herman sure. The, a lot of people buy ticket stubs the right. way the Marlins printed ticket stubs uh, to sell. Um, from a, a perfect game or no hitter previously. Absolutely. But uh, no, there's my fourth say, absolutely you know, tonight. I did it. A perfect game is a perfect game, right? It is. So it is. It was against the A's who aren't the worst team in baseball right now. The Royals are worse than them. Oh, good so, for them. So, you know, the Detroit Tigers never had a perfect game thrown against them when they were awful. The New York Mets didn't have a perfect game thrown against them when they were awful. So only 24. I got to give them the credit. And I did ask you this, Randall, earlier. I said, who was the last catcher? to catch a perfect game for the New York Yankees. Of course, they've had four in their history, two and one in 98, one in 99 in, in successive years. And, and uh, you got it immediately and, and you want to give us the correct answer, Randall. I do. Yes. Uh, and you know, I don't know that I would have gotten this otherwise, but I do know that David Cohn threw, I believe the most recent Yankees perfect game before last night. And it makes sense. Joe Girardi, former Cubs catcher, former Phillies manager, current Cubs broadcaster caught the previous most recent perfect game in Yankees history. So Joe Girardi is your answer. There you go. Cubs legend, Joe Girardi. Who, That's right. Who, and Cubs current, you know, apparently guy who's everywhere. I, I want to say they're really throwing Girardi in our face. So that's right. He's the, he's the legend there in New York as well. He he is. And I, you know, I wondered why they didn't have Girardi in the booth uh, calling the series against the Phillies. That would be fun. A guy calling games for a team or games against a team who fired him uh, about a year ago. Now that would have been maybe more interesting than your typical Joe Girardi broadcast. So as we always do, we are fortunate to have weather provided to us. Now we have a little bit of a twist this week. Last week, the weather was uh, provided for London, the first ever Cubs weather international forecast. This week, we are fortunate to have weather provided by a different leg of the Cubs weather trio. And that is Andrew, who you can find on Twitter at Sky Drama. That's S-K-Y-D-R-A-M-A, all one string. So Andrew at Sky Drama of Cubs weather fame. That, of course, is at Cubs weather. Was nice enough to provide us with the weather for this weekend series versus Cleveland, and then the series up there in Milwaukee. So the series vibe for this weekend series versus Cleveland, it will be stormy and unsettled. Not what you want to hear for a series at Wrigley, but it is the reality of Chicago in June nonetheless. The wind will be blowing in most of, if not the entire weekend, with a nearly constant 50-50 chance of storms all three days. There will be dry windows, but the weekend won't be a total washout. Um, The weekend won't be a total washout, but weather impacts will be felt all three days potentially. So Friday, you have a 120 game as it should be. It'll be a mix of clouds and sunshine, a 50-50 chance of a thunderstorm with temperatures in the upper 70s, and it is going to be humid out there, thick, as Jeremy described the air earlier, whether that's with two Cs or a CK, that's up to him, and the wind will be blowing in from center field at 10 miles per hour. Saturday is a 6.15 local time night game at Wrigley, which means we get another national broadcast, and haven't we suffered enough this week, but it will be partly to mostly cloudy, with, again, a 50-50 chance of a thunderstorm. Temperatures will be in the lower 70s, and again, it'll be a bit humid out there, with the wind blowing in from right field at 10 miles per hour. And then finally, the 
uh, final game of the series, Sunday, 120 again, as it should be. It will again be a mix of clouds and sunshine. Again, a 50-50 chance of a thunderstorm. And again, temperatures in the lower 70s with the wind variable at 5 to 10 miles per hour. The weather pattern will settle down a little bit for the four-game series in Milwaukee, which I count on being a colossal pain in the ass because series in Milwaukee always are. You can't rule out a game or two with thunderstorms nearby, and they may need to require some effort to close the corrugated shack roof. That is my wording, but it was provided back to us by Andrew. But imagine that the roof in Milwaukee will be more open than not, and that is open more than not. And that is a good thing, because as I'm always reminded, Jeremy, there is no air conditioning in the seating bowl at Milwaukee. Um there's no ventilation once they have the ballpark sealed up. So as uh, Milwaukee people often do, they create their own weather system, just clouds of humidity building up under the roof right there. And that's that's what people from Wisconsin do is they create their own weather systems with the gases. So that is the weather system, the weather forecast provided to us this week again by Andrew of at Cubs Weather Fame. Find him on Twitter at Sky Drama. Andrew, of course, one of the three wonderful individuals who runs Cubs Weather. That's Andrew. That is Alexander, our typical weather provider. And that, of course, is Colin. So follow uh, all three of them at Cubs Weather for all of your climatological and meteorological needs throughout the rest of the season. Milwaukee, of course, a ballpark we've all uh, been to. You know, we saw uh, some great games there. We've all had some experiences. I've never seen a great game there. You know, well, well, got to see some moments let's say some great moments you got to see chris sure chris bryant being silenced in the dugout that was a moment i did i got to see david ross pitch in that same game so talk about great moments funny funnily enough for me about that game is for some reason i always associated with phil coke because he pitched in that game he came out it's like weird just a weird random cub that i always associate with and maybe maybe he'll be a name on my immaculate grid tonight phil coke yeah immaculate grid i think we're all we're all all in on immaculate grid for now i would like to say that today thursday june 29th i was nine for nine my grid was immaculate and my uh what is it? The rarity score, Jeremy? Is that the, the name for it? Yes. My rarity. Now, now, Jeremy, you know, while we're on the topic of immaculate grid, you want your rarity score to be lower or do you want it to be higher? Lower. So what the rarity okay. score is, is a combination from what I, I, I read, I believe, on the website is a combination of all the percentages added together. So the lower it is, the lower, how the more rare uh, your combination is, your your grid is. Okay, well, that that is excellent to know. So my rarity score for, of course, Immaculate Grid on Thursday, the 29th of June is my rarity score was, I'm going to find it here, and I have it 226, 226. So uh, it's a fun game to play day in and day out. If you haven't played it uh, already, do so. You can start. I don't believe it keeps track of your streak. So, you know, you're, you're not going to have a, a, a Wordle streak broken like I did a few weeks ago, tragically. Uh, but that's ImmaculateGrid.com. It's a real fun game to play. Uh, it's, I guess it's a gamified version, Jeremy, of Remember Some Guys is, and you know, the the Remember Some Guys complex is never really going to go away. There's always a market for Remember Some Guys. Uh, so as we wrap up tonight, uh, Ronan's Rockies made a trade uh, a little less than a week ago now. It was a Saturday night trade. The Rockies traded infielder Mike Moustakis to the visiting Los Angeles Angels. All he had to do was walk across the hall to his new clubhouse. Uh, it's an across-the-hall trade, which you don't get a, a whole lot of in MLB. And interestingly enough, Jeremy, this is another fun nugget, is the prospect who was traded from the uh, Angels organization to the Rockies organization, a right-handed pitcher by the name of Connor Van. You know, I'm not going to try and pronounce his name because I've biffed a lot tonight, but it's S-C-O-Y-O-C, that young man. He 
only had to cross the hallway uh, in the minor league stadium because the Angels High A affiliate, the Tri-City Dust Devils, were playing the Colorado High A affiliate, the Spokane Indians. So it's a double cross the hallway trade where the major leaguer and the minor leaguer both just have to switch clubhouses in the same building. Yeah, those are always pretty crazy trades, you know, and, and Mike Moustakis, of course, was as you, I believe you mentioned, was a trade after that huge 25 to, win, to one loss, right? So Mike Moustakis right. walking in. I, I saw a great tweet the other day about it where where they just had Mike Moustakis walking into the uh, clubhouse because he was immediately traded after being like, yes. how about that win, boys? You know, <laughs> That's right. Go, how about that win today? Uh, but of course, Mike Moustakis also from Southern California, the Anaheim area. So it's a hometown trade for him. He gets to play with his his hometown boys. And you know what? I'm happy that Mike Moustakis is not in the national league anymore. I mean, he was in the NL West, but like, let's get him out of Milwaukee. Let's get him out of Cincinnati. I, I don't need to face that guy anymore. No, get him as I, far away as possible. I agree. I will always associate him. I know he, he had his biggest career time with the Royals or his most notable career time, but yes, I will absolutely always associate him with that 2018 uh, that 2018 Brewers team, he spent some time with the Reds too. And I'm sure that Reds team did something that made me angry. So yes, get, he's out of the NL. Cubs have already dealt with the Angels this year. They will not have to see him again this season unless he gets traded again. Um, yeah, so Mike Moustakis, best of luck. It's uh, kind of like eminent domain, isn't it? The Angels beat the Rockies by such a, a wide margin that night, 25 to 1. They were able to just go and claim one of their players as uh, a victory prize. I think MLB would be a lot more interesting if you could do that. So after this trade broke, Ronan, of course, who is not with us tonight, but he's with us in spirit. He tracked down um, some other across the hall trades in MLB. And I think he used the same article that I later found. The Cubs have been involved in two of them in the last 13 seasons. Most recently in 2013, they traded David DeJesus to, I believe, the visiting Washington Nationals. Uh, they waived him very quickly and he caught on with another team, but it was still uh, an across the hallway trade where he just switched clubhouses. And then three years prior to that, in 2010, Mike Fontenot was traded while the Cubs were in uh, San Francisco playing at AT&T Park. And a great piece from this article in his final game with the Cubs, Fontenot hit a go-ahead uh, pinch hit two-run double for the Cubs. And then he was traded, of course, uh, right after that game. Um, and of course, Bruce Bochy managing the Giants at the time. What else did he say? But I wish we had him a day earlier. So Bruce Bochy, always good for a quote. But yeah, across the hall trades, you don't get a whole lot of them in MLB. But there were two more recent ones on this list. And this list is from 2018. So there may have been more since. Uh, but the D-backs got Jake Diekman from the visiting Rangers, as the Rangers were in Phoenix for an interleague series. And uh, the D-backs general manager, Mike Hazen, apparently had a conversation with Jake Diekman. Diekman asked if he could take the bullpen cart across the field to the other dugout and the, the bullpen cart in Arizona, Jeremy, I'm sure you've seen it. Tell our viewers, what is it? We don't have viewers. Tell our listeners, what does the bullpen cart in Arizona look like? Uh, well, off the top of my head, I'm trying to think of what the bullpen cart uh, in Arizona does it look like the one in uh, in Major League, like a uh, baseball with the baseball pants. And the you hat. know, it is. I believe it's a giant motorized uh, baseball helmet. Yeah, with the um, helmet. Sorry, I with the helmet. Hat. Yeah. So the Diamondbacks bullpen cart is, of course, um, a big batting helmet styled cart. And, you know, that would be fun for a major leaguer. Drive that thing around the field, drive it to your your new dugout, your new clubhouse. Um, and then sticking in the NL Central, the Reds acquired Matt Harvey um, from the Mets and the Mets acquired Devin Mezzarocco, the former catcher for the Reds. Again, while the um, while the Reds were at 
while the Mets were at the Great American Ballpark. So another across the hall trade uh, staying in the National League Central. So they don't happen very often, but it's always interesting. It always has to be a little awkward, especially if a game has just ended. Like you said, Moustakis probably walked into that clubhouse, grabbed his Angels hat. And like you said, probably asked, uh, how about that win, boys? Um, so across the hall trades, if you uh, are aware out there of any similar across the hall trades, and that's again, a player staying in the ballpark after being traded, just has to walk to the opposing clubhouse. If you can come up with any tweet us at BTYL podcast. Um, if you remember any past distant past, yeah, let us know. And we'll be more than happy to uh, acknowledge them one way or the other. So across the hall trades. Yeah, I, I got one off the top of my head. All right, uh, what do you got? I was thinking I got one. It's it's, it's not a recent one. It's from about uh, mid nineties. Uh, uh, Denny Nagel uh, was a pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates in the mid nineties, and I remember him uh, throwing. And I, I looked it up right here because I, I I wanted to get all the details right, but I do remember this was that Denny Nagel threw uh, on August twenty seventh. So it was a waiver wire trade, kind of. On August twenty seventh, he threw a eight inning. Uh, a game against the Atlanta Braves, the defending champion Atlanta Braves, who would later go on to the World Series. He allowed only six hits, two runs, dominated the Braves and through eight innings, won the game three to two, and was immediately traded to the Braves after that game. He dominated them. They're like, you know what? Let's get that guy who dominated us. Immediately was traded to the Braves after the game uh, for uh, a couple of players, player to be named later, and that player to be named later ended up being uh, Jason Schmidt, who had a pretty good career for himself, but Denny Nagel was always one. I remember I was, that's like the first one. I think I was like 11 years old watching sports center. They're like Denny Nagel. He dominated the Braves today. And then he walked over across, you know, uh, Fulton County or uh, Turner field in 1990s. No Turner. Well, I think opened in 97 for the Braves. It was still Fulton County stadium in 96 walked across Fulton County stadium and was now pitching a pitcher for the uh, Braves. And of course, who did he face in his first start against uh, as a pitcher of the Braves? He faced, the Chicago Cubs. And what did he do? He pitched only five and two thirds innings, gave up three runs, but the Braves lost that game 12 to nothing against the Chicago Cubs. Uh, the World Series bound defending champion Braves lost a game to the 1996 Cubs 12 to nothing at Wrigley Field. Well, that's August a good, Cub, good Cubs tie in there and a, a good pull. Turner Field, of course, built in 19 or built for the 1996 uh, Atlanta Olympics and then converted to the home of the Braves a season later than that. But that's a good pull. Denny Nagel, you know, if you can't beat him, acquire him. I can't exactly. join him, but acquire him. All right, Jeremy, as we wrap up tonight, anything else? Any any good wishes for the Cubs this weekend? Anything else you want to toss in? Yeah, you know, I, I personally... I, I, I want the Cubs to go out there and play some good ball against the Guardians this weekend. I want them to go out there and win. I want them to go out there and beat up the Brewers. Find themselves in this race. Give management a reason to go out there and bring in some reinforcements. Personally, I think they should just go out bringing reinforcements anyways. But at least give them the reason to go out there and bring reinforcements in. And so, yeah, so do some damage. Because, honestly, this AL Central, man, uh, car, they should be forced to forfeit their playoff spot. So let's go Agreed. out and beat some AL central teams right now. Agreed. You, you've got a chance against a subpar team to hopefully pull this homestand back up a little bit. Go ahead and take it. Give this front office a reason to, to do something positive because nobody wants to see another sell off for a third season in the row. Give the front even the front office a chance to do something positive. Give them a reason to do something positive. That's all we can ask for. So that's all we have for you this week on Behind the Yellow Line. We will be back with you next week at some point with all-star discussion. 
Um, and hopefully a little better vibe and a little better news coming out of the Cubs. Fingers crossed. Uh, so for Jeremy, I'm Randall. Thanks for listening. Find us on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. We appreciate you spending your time with us and we will see you again soon. <laughs>